Good evening, you're all listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight for this special end-of-the-year recording, we welcome Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, and happy Christmas, Merry New Year. Uh, we're, we're an ecumenical podcast here, Troy, so I think the, what you were searching for was Happy Holidays. No, I don't think so. Now, Troy's, Troy's been playing War on Christmas uh, Simulator 2014. <laughs> You've unlocked Season's Greetings. Christmas is dead. Uh, you also just heard our friend uh, Rowan Kaiser. Hello. Rowan, I don't know how to refer to you anymore. I know you're still a freelancer, but at this point, you're also kind of the king of Westeros, so I'm not really sure how you should be introduced at this point. Um, you could just call me the Hand. Okay. <laughs> hand, no, wait, hand they, the... They, they survive even less than the kings do. Yeah, um, the, the hands have not done well. Master of coin? Yeah, uh, I could, yeah, I, I can see that. I guess Tyrion was that, and he didn't do so well. So, well, be that as it may, I think it's I think it's fair to say people should check out your new gig, uh, writing full time Game of Thrones TV reviews, basically indulging your your editorial reign over at uh, is it Winter is Coming? Yes. Yes. Your editorial reign over winter is, is coming. It, it is kind of becoming Rowan's internal monologue.com. Like, it is, <laughs> it is the most Rowan site I can possibly imagine. I especially love when you start reviewing other shows through the lens of a Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, look for Justified coming in uh, mid January. Oh, please, God, you are. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. I look forward to it. Uh, and we also welcome. Uh, increasingly regular panelist fraser brown we don't say happy holidays in the uk but i'm also a miserable git so i'm not going to say happy christmas either and i'll just say hello so today we're going to be talking just about some of the uh, highlights of the year some games that that stand out in our in our memory and some trends we identified uh, over the course of the year so I, I think to uh i think to start us out maybe before we start getting into uh specific games i'd just like to talk a little bit about what what kind of were uh some of the trends or noteworthy moments uh fr from this past year that really stand out for you guys uh rowan since you actually probably did the most show prep of anyone for this <laughs> <laughs> and gave the topic the most thought. Um, what were you know? What were what were some threads that uh, that, that tied the year together for you? Um, one of the big ones is the continuation of what I call the survival strategy game, um, which is or the dwarf fortress like, but basically the games where you control a very small number of people in a very harsh environment and try to build from there. Uh, I think early access and um, crowdfunding have been very good for these kinds of games that maybe publishers were a little wary of because they're aimed at being difficult. Um, but I think they're they're it's clear that people like them, and games like uh, Banished and uh, um, Space Base DF9 and uh, Clockwork Empires were all in some measure of development over the year in the past couple of years and. Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited by this. This is they're they're the sorts of games that I think I can lose a lot of entertaining time to, and uh, I, I am happy to see people trying to take the dwarf fortress idea and make it more accessible. That's a very good point, actually, and that is something that I started to notice as well. Certainly with um, the forexes we started seeing in the uh, in the fall. 
it, it definitely seemed like strategy games are trying to push back a little harder uh, than I remember. I, I hadn't really, the, the coin hadn't dropped that they were survival strategy games, but I think it's a very apt way of describing them uh, because increasingly they do feel less, a lot of the, the games that stand up my memory from this year really are less about just sort of scaffolding up, scaffolding your way um, up some sort of ladder of progress and much more about sort of being, um, you know, being being an outpost in a hostile country, whatever that means. Uh, but that definitely seems to have been a, a big part of the str- strategic experience uh, this year. I would say that maybe even got a little bit started with um, uh, Pandora uh, last year, which you know sort of tried to be the the successor to Alpha Centauri, uh, which really seemed quite hell bent on making you suffer to get a toehold established on a new planet. Yeah, I, I, like I said, it's a continuation of the trend, um, and uh, like the, I think the space-based DF9 was like as one of the earliest early access games it was uh, sort of the uh, someone planting the flag in and saying this is something that we're going to try to do, and a bunch of other people have sort of followed that. Troy, what about you? What uh, what, what are some what are some things that you noticed over the course of this year that uh, that, that stand out? I think for me, the standout why I spent most of my time playing was it's just the increasing uh, variety and creativity in the independent wargaming scene, with uh, Pike and Shot and Ultimate General Gettysburg really being the two standouts, I think, this year. We did shows on each of them, and plus some really good stuff, other good stuff coming out of uh, the Slytherin Matrix uh, HQ. And, of course, Unity of Command still doing good things with you know better editors and supporting the mod scene there. Uh, it's kind of refreshing to see more of these games pop up on Steam where more people can find them. Uh, So that accessibility is there. And these are really serious, good games that are not difficult to play or difficult to figure out. Um, I think that war game designers are maybe learning the lesson of accessibility and realizing you can make a deep and rewarding war game without, you know, having to obsess about the type of rifle uh, you have... uh, and your soldiers so it's that's i think that's been my highlight i think that's the trend i think it might be continuing do do you think that's a generational thing i mean because just off the top of my head it sort of seems like a lot of the guys who are making uh war games 15 years ago right like 90s war games a lot of those designers are still working they're still they're still making really involved um grognardy war games uh john tiller hasn't stopped turning out sort of uh you know mega hex based uh war games but it it definitely seems like there there might be sort of some younger design talent entering the space with a completely different approach with maybe more of a more of an eye toward uh that that intro that introductory experience and what and what draws people in it could be generational but then i look at something like um Command Modern Naval Air Warfare, which is also, I think, from a relatively young team, um, and it is just completely incomprehensible. Okay, but I, I wanted to ask you about this because I've been I've been begging off dealing with this game for a while because I just I know I do not have the mental bandwidth to deal <laughs> with it, and I, I saw it, I saw it previewed at a Matrix event uh, about a, about a year or so ago, and it was pretty clearly not my kind of game. It was just a, it was like it was it was like people who thought like Harpoon was too dumbed down uh, was, was the was the feeling I was getting from it. Uh, you you've poked at it a little bit. You, you think you're you're struggling to sort of wrap your brain around it? I need to watch a tutorial video or something. Uh, the 
The tutorial in the game is a PDF you open up and you read, and there is there is a, there are sorts of guides uh, throughout the game. Uh, but the interface really does nothing to help. It's a bunch of menus on top of menus. And I I figured out Harpoon without a manual back in, you know, 1989, 1990. So I'm not an idiot. Um, I can figure this stuff out. Uh, or unless I could figure these things out when I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. Now that I'm 42, um, yeah, I think mental bandwidth is a good way to put it. I, I mean, I, I have to put in quite a bit of time to figuring out this game. That said, I want to play it because it does have such an active um, scenario development community, uh, very involved in, you know, rip from the headlines uh, type of encounters, like air war over Ukraine or strikes yeah, on Iranian uh, things. I was going to so, say it was so ripped from the headlines. There were so, there were some moments earlier this year where I was sort of questioned uh, the timing or the taste, right? Like as as the uh, as the Crimea was being seized, you had people sort of being like now you've seen it happen on the news, now war game it. Uh, which, which seemed a <laughs> bit which seemed a bit uh, you know, sort of rushing uh, rushing to be topical uh, while, while sort of tragic events were still unfolding. Yeah, well that's you know kind of the uh that's the price you pay, I guess, for making a war game. People want to edit. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure something you want to be necessarily celebrating, but it does. It's a good way to show that first they have a very active, um, very active community. Um, it is a game that is apparently relatively easy once you figure out the game. It's relatively easy to get their, to get the modding and um, the editing uh, together, which is kind of nice. Uh, so, but it is a game I really want to dig into, and I really hope we can find some time for it. Uh, in the winter of wargaming next year, but I would not be surprised if you decide you can't be on that show. <laughs> <laughs> I might, I, I might consign you and Bruce to uh, to 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 a two man Cold War standoff uh, over that one because I'm just I'm not sure. You know, it's been too long since I studied my Tom Clancy books. Uh, I, I'm just not <laughs> sure I'm ready to be an admiral uh, on the high seas anymore. Uh, Fraser, Fraser, how about you? What what are some what are some things that stood out for you this year? Uh, some some trends, some some things you noticed uh, in the world of strategy. There was a a crazy amount of diversity when it came to four X games. Uh, there was just it feels like we just got an absurd amount all in the space of this year, um, and there was just such a, a huge range as well. I mean, you've got the sort of you've got your fantasy ones like Warlock 2 and uh, Age of Wonders. And like even within that group, they're very different games. You've got Age of Wonders, which has the, uh, the tactical combat uh, against and city sieges and things like that, whereas Age of Wonders is a little bit more, uh, you know, like Civ-like. Um, and then you've got things like Endless Legend, which kind of blur the line between science fiction and, and fantasy and, and inject this personality uh into the game that isn't really that common in, in 4x games i think um and then even disappointments like civ uh, beyond earth were still i think pretty interesting uh yeah there's just been so many it's almost been hard to keep track of them and they are all kind of big time sinks uh there's just not been enough time this year to really uh give every single one of them the uh the attention i really wanted to uh, but it's it's such a strange 
sensation to to kind of look at my Steam library and just see all of these 4X games that I can play. After feeling for years that it was uh, a genre that was often kind of overlooked. Yeah, you know, I was thinking... It's interesting. I I came into this year actually looking forward to Warlock 2 so much and thinking that was going to be one of my top uh, 4Xs of the year. And I liked the game uh, quite a bit. We did a show on it and we were largely positive about it. But here at the, you know, at the, at the tail end of the year, you know, it, it's, it's kind of, um, I, I'm surprised how much it was surpassed it turned out we it turned out to be a sort of banner year for four x's uh in some ways where you know i i I would have expected civ beyond earth and warlock 2 that alone kind of would have made it you know a a a incredible bounty we had this year and um you know instead it's 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 been sort of embarrassment of riches and i think endless legend really caught me completely uh off guard uh with just how good it is and and how well it does do that uh balance between uh fantasy and sci-fi which is something that um you know, Elemental actually tried to do as well. Uh, tried to do as well ages ago. Um, if you if you read the if you read uh, the the book the the companion novel to Elemental War of Magic, uh, you Which discovered of course you did. Oh, oh, of course, of course, <laughs> I read the hell out of it. Are you kidding me? The candlelight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, I really had to savor it. Um, but <laughs> it was sort of revealed at the end that that was in the same universe as the uh, the, the Galactic Civilizations uh, universe, but it, it's not quite as on the nose. But Endless Legend really turned into uh, one of my absolute favorites of the year. Yeah, it was it was just kind of it, it almost like I felt like it snuck up on me, even though it had been in early access. And I even remember I think reading a, a hands off preview uh from you rob i think it might have been at gdc or something like that and you know i I got excited but then i you know i put it in the back to the back of my mind but when it came out i was just astounded at how bloody good it was uh and i I kind of had felt at that point in the year that we'd really uh that you know we were getting civ beyond earth and i thought we've already had quite a lot of excellent 4x games i think that this will just be it but we it was kind of absurd really and we had things like um Distant Worlds Universe, which is more of a kind of uh, ultimate edition of Distant Worlds, because a new expansion and then putting all of the expansions in in one place. Um, But it really kind of just uh, uh, trying to spotlight how great that series has been as well and how incredibly complex it is too. Um, I I really want to talk about that a little bit more later as well. Um, But yeah, just a, a magnificent year for 4Xs. Well, let's uh, let's start wading into that a little more now, actually, uh, just because I, I think it's it's a good place to start. I think the the forex genre is kind of one of the cornerstones of this entire podcast, so I think it I I think it's, I think it's good to just start diving into this a, a little bit more. And Fraser, I actually like to pick up right away with um, Distant Worlds because this is a game that we covered here on the show. Uh, oh goodness, Fra- uh, Troy, I think this was like three years ago. We did a show on, it's on quite Distant a while Worlds. ago, yeah. Uh, and and we were all impressed. It was the virtual viceroy vice show, right. um, talking about AI managers and, and games that sort of took that simulated more things than the player could really handle. And sort of part of the art of playing them is figuring out what you're going to personally oversee, and then figuring out what you're going to leave to the AI and what parameters you're going to set for it. Which I thought was really cool, but even in its sort of infancy, I found Distant Worlds a tad overwhelming. It did not become one of my absolute favorites. Uh, even though I, I'm, I'm well aware that it has a, a strong following among three moves ahead fans, uh, 
Fraser, at this point, I'm honestly a little scared to go back to it because so much time has passed. There've been so many expansions, uh, and I'm just a little worried that you know it's it's going to be like trying to you know <laughs> catch up to a moving train. Uh, what what is the state of play in Distant Worlds, and um, you know how much how much has it evolved with this, with this with this latest edition? Well, it, I, I guess with, with every expansion, it's more like it's heaped on just so much more content, so much more starting eras as well, because there's this huge timeline of the universe, and where you decide to start playing will dictate the sort of challenges you face. Like, you might start um, during a time where, like, most of the great civilizations have, have kind of fallen, and it's before any other great ones have, have built back up again. So it's a universe basically ruled by pirates who have scavenged the best bits from these fallen civilizations, and then you're kind of at their mercy, uh, which makes it this kind of desperate kind of balancing game where you're trying not to piss these pirates off, trying to do what they ask you to do, uh, while also slowly trying to build up your power so you can eventually um, get rid of them completely and, and start dominating the galaxy yourself. Um, but choosing another period in the history of Distant Worlds, you'll get a completely different experience. But um, I found that the best way to really get started because i i had played distant worlds right back when it was there was there were no expansions it just launched and i found it absolutely bewildering uh, but going back with with universe um i started very slowly by taking control of exactly one ship and i played the game purely as a sort of in in exploration mode almost where i was just going around looking for new worlds meeting new people and just being my own you know enterprise really uh, and, and letting the, the AI do all the heavy lifting and managing this massive empire. I wasn't playing the emperor, basically. I was playing a ship's captain. Um, but I'd see things, little notifications popping up of, you know, uh, kind of cold wars and uh, new trade deals and, and new technologies. And bit by bit, I started getting intrigued by these different elements and switching automation off for just small things. Um and within, you know, a, a couple of days, I had switched a, a, most of the automation off. Um, and it was, you know, it was challenging and there was a, a lot to get through. Uh, it's certainly not a sort of relaxing game. Uh, but I felt that I, you know, just by doing it in this almost kind of modular way, I'd, I'd learned how to play a lot better than if I'd, I'd just dived in head first. I think there are some games where diving in head first works. Um, like, that's what I recommend to people wanting to play, say, like, Europa Universalis or, or uh, CK2. Just dive straight in. It doesn't matter if you cock it up. It's, you know, it's all good fun. Uh, but with Distant Worlds Universe, I think you really do have to start very small scale. Um, but that also allows you to kind of appreciate the scope of it all, because you've got this galaxy just working away uh, just on its own, and, and it's simulated very well. The AI does uh, an excellent job, um, so it never kind of feels like by leaving it alone you're somehow uh, screwing yourself over uh, when you decide to actually uh, take control again. But it's it's very odd that that you would start the game, which is a four X game, and you would just want to control one ship and ignore everything else. It's sort of counterintuitive, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if you wanted to get back into it, Rob, and and, and uh, give it another shot, I would recommend just starting off in that way. This is one little ship exploring the one little universe. ship. I mean, I'll admit that that gets quite 
boring quite quickly. But mm. the point is, is that it, it gives you this opportunity to just focus on one task. And mm. then you'll kind of start, you'll be encouraged to start looking at more things because you'll get a little bit bored. And before you know it, you're actually managing quite a lot of, of your empire. But it feels quite natural. Where do you rate it? Because because we we haven't really like games like this that sort of have ongoing development tend to get a little bit forgotten because the the expansions are basically for the people who've stuck with those games and the, the, the yeah. rest of the world kind of moves on. But at this yeah. point, the game has changed so much in the last few years. Like, well, let's pretend this game out came this year. Where do you rate it next to uh, a lot of the other forexes we brought up here uh, tonight for the for twenty fourteen? I, I will be completely honest. I I would say that it's my favorite forex game this year. Um, maybe it's. Uh, the thing is, you've also got Endless Legend, which you know I absolutely adore. But a lot of that is the the, the personality, the lore, uh, the story that's being told. You know those sorts, and and also the fact that it's just drop dead gorgeous. Whereas Distant Worlds Universe is not in the least; it's just hideous. Um, you know, from the menus to the way the planets look, it's all ugly. Um, but it's just so huge, and I I. Just I'm able to lose myself in it in a way that I, I don't with other 4X games. So I, I really would, I'd put it right up at the top. That might be a top that it shares with, with Endless Legend, I don't, you know. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's still right up there. Uh, I, I really do think it's wonderful. Rowan Troy uh, in 4X Thunderdome, uh, who, <laughs> who, who emerges victorious? Uh, Endless Legend. I haven't played Distant World. Endless Legend, I think, is... It really shows that Amplitude's got some more than one neat idea. I mean, they endless space we talked about uh, on the show, and it's, it's okay. It's not a great game, but uh, Endless Legends and also their roguelike Dungeon of the Endless are both full of really creative and neat ideas. Now, Endless Legends end game doesn't quite work as well as it should. Uh, it's really an early. These early and mid game, I think, are the strongest. But it has just so much creativity and Rowan says personality. And it's a game you have to learn and keep learning. Um, because the factions, I, I'm, I'm a faction design nerd, and there's just so many interesting approaches to how do you build a cool faction? How do you balance cool factions? Do you have to worry about balance and if everything is just so weird and broken? Um, not to mention, of course, the, uh, the the tactical battle system, which is, I think, the kind of thing we should probably be seeing more of um, in strategy games, where you're you're moving a stack, but then the battles they they break apart, so it doesn't feel like the map is cluttered with a bunch of soldiers like you would see in Civ Five, for example, until the battle happens, and then you everyone gets into position, and then they get back into the army later. That's a great, neat little interface tool that allows you to see more of a very beautiful map and a very beautiful game. Do you prefer that style of, of, of combat to, say, a more hands-on one where you're controlling, you've got a lot of control over individual units, like in Age of Wonders, for instance? Um, I think Age of, Age of Wonders system works good for Age of Wonders. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure it, work, it would work as well in a game like uh, Endless Legend. It's a good, it's probably a better conceptual system, Endless Legends, is because it is relatively simple and fast. So even if there isn't, uh, even if there's stuff about it that doesn't work so well, um, you're not spending all your time with it. It's, it's, it's 
sort of a good enough where with age of wonders you have a system that is really more of the game than the uh, grand strategy mode with the tactics and it has to be really good and i think it is i don't i didn't really like the the grand strategy mode in age of wonders but the the tactics work for that but they're there are so many, especially fantasy 4X games, where you just get bogged down in these constant, slow tactical battles, and Endless Legend just kind of says, no, we'll make them fast. Yeah, and you know, it's it's an interesting thing, because I feel like a lot of games are sort of going with the uh, Heroes of Might and Magic model, uh, but even that series, I would say, was sort of uneven with the quality of its battles. It's one of these things where it's, it's, it's easy to get wrong, even if you're kind of working within a well-known template. Uh, I think one of the games that ends up doing it uh, fairly well is um... oh god the, the Russian <laughs> game uh, Armored Princess was one of the names of the expansions King's um, Bounty King's Bounty yes that was the yeah. entire game was just yeah. fighting these battles and it was sort of a and they're um, great yeah it was, it was sort of a fun little adventure because there was no real strategic layer that you, that you had to worry about the problem is they've just remade that game about 20 million times <laughs> Yeah, well, that seems to be like honestly, that seems to be a, a kind of a weird thing about the uh, you know the the uh, Eastern European PC gaming market in a lot mm. of ways. Like, um, I think one of my crushing disappointments of the year had to have been. Um, God, I'm just total crap tonight. I'm total crap tonight. My brain is like it's. I was like the not company of company of heroes game, the Russian company of heroes, the uh, Men of War, Men of War Assault Squad, uh, Men of War Assault Squad Two, uh, which was a game that I really had high hopes for, but they just kind of remade Men of War Assault Squad um, with some with I think a handful of new maps. So th- there is kind of a weird. Uh, it seems like. A feature of maybe maybe it's a feature of one C where where once they've got a winner uh, they just keep stamping out uh, you know new skins for it new new they've new even games. got uh, some sort of free to play online version of King's Bounty now as well and they're just churning them out um, and there's never any real improvement which is a shame but the actual original game and then Armored Princess as well the sequel yeah. or the expansion or expandal or whatever they are um, yeah they're great really good well the the thing that made those so interesting was kind of the how it balanced the campaign so that like every single battle you had to search for and Mm -hmm. uh find the right place to attack and then rebuild your armies and like if getting that fine-tuned into the right place was like the thing that i needed the most from them so i'm okay with them iterating i just need to you know actually sit down and play all seven of them or whatever but uh <laughs> it's like i would start on normal and it would be way too easy and then i would go to hard and it'd be too hard and which class i want like if if they manage to get all those into a, a coherent experience like i'm all for them making those attempts i just have to you know make the attempt myself to play yeah but i think when it, when, when it comes to battles like uh, Rowan, you know the the heroes of might and magic series uh yes. pr- pretty well <laughs> i i think some of the things that I would run into, even with Heroes of Might and Magic, is uh, if you're running an army that was associated with one kind of village, um, I, I would sort of work out a template for how I'd fight that army, uh, how I would how I would sort of maneuver it on the battlefield, what my or- tactical order of operations uh, tended to be, and I would sort of apply that throughout a lot of the campaign and, and have a lot of success with that, uh, and I feel like that has sort of evolved to become a shortcoming of a lot of battle systems where 
you end up having these these tactical battles where I, I find myself going in being like, okay, time to cast the huge massive damage spell to kill that crowd of archers. Great, they're dead. Now send the, like it, it just comes very paint by numbers, and uh, I, I feel like the, that sort of became a feature of the genre uh, that Endless Legend kind of escapes by sort of taking my hands off the wheel. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you, although I would often get bored and just set it on auto combat unless it seemed to be like a very close battle which was so rare in those games so um yeah whereas endless legend like the the way that it restrains your um your advances in uh troop technology as well as the size of the armies means that most of those battles like you're 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 fighting for something um so you want to do well it's not just a click and see what happens um but by taking your hands off the wheel as you said it means that it's uh there's always still like a little mini story to each battle that you aren't necessarily in control of yeah and i would say that it helps that one of the things that makes endless legend so good is that i think the unit variety is really fantastic and the existence of the monsters uh being out there on the map uh and this sort of ties into the point of the survival 4x, the survival strategy game uh, that, that you brought up earlier, Rowan. But some of my most memorable battles in Endless Legend were just like trying to hang on to a really important expansion city uh, against like a race of bat people who really wanted me to get the hell out of their neighborhood. Um, and and because like each race has these special like. So these special traits to their units that, that make them fight very differently and pose a very different sort of threat to various kinds of your units uh, really made each battle, uh, in, in most battles in that legend, felt uh, not only like there was something at stake, but I also had to be really thinking about how my army matched up against theirs. Because if I didn't, if I didn't pay attention to that stuff, uh, I was going to start getting just like worked over by sort of nasty spell effects and 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 that kind of thing yeah it and that this is also one of the weaker parts of endless legend for me is that um you know if you just get dropped on the map randomly and you're you know and you can you know take over a village of the i think the vampire things are just ridiculously powerful at first um I can't remember exactly what they're called, but like one game, you know, I get dropped on a, a part of the map where I like have a super great starting city zone and can immediately befriend the vampire village, and I just you know rampage all over everything. Um, it's it's not a game where I ever felt like this is a really balanced game, it, which was kind of fine for uh, you know the first few first few playthroughs because it was really fascinating just to like exist within that world but it's not a game that i've gone back to necessarily in part because of that yeah so that's i remember this is something we got hung up on when we met up in in san francisco from what i can remember of that conversation um (laughs) and one of the things that uh i i seem to remember you saying is, is that um Neither of us, neither of us, was really sure whether the game actually worked. Like it was a game we were both sort of riveted by, uh, but we were both looking at each other. Like you know, we sort of looked at each other after we sung the game's praises, and we were like, "But 
is it does it actually hold together at all like does it feel like you have you have a control over the strategic outcomes in that game and to this day i still kind of feel like um there's a little bit of randomness going on in that game just with starting placements and um i don't always have a great feel for what my enemies are up to so it, it ends up being this kind of um solipsistic 4x for me until really suddenly it isn't and then a surprise i discover whether or not i'm actually in this game yeah i i, I mean i think that's an okay thing like i I like that it's a, a sort of 4X experience versus a finely tuned super duper 4X um, where, you know, everything has to be perfectly balanced so that the multiplayer is totally fair and so on. Um, if you look at like a Civ 5, I feel like it might have gone a little overboard with that at times. Um, whereas uh, Endless Legends is just like, this is pretty. There's lots of cool stuff. You'll feel like you're making great decisions. We won't tell you if you actually are, but... <laughs> you'll, you'll figure it out eventually. Um, Troy, you, you specifically brought up the, the end game, the end game issues. And what's, what's going on with the end game of... Uh, it, it, reaching the end game itself is, is not the easiest thing to do in, in Endless Legend for some of the reasons we brought up. But, but what's going on in sort of those late stages that, that you saw as, as sort of being breaking points for the game? I think mostly it's that it has the, the, the traditional forex problem, the whole snowball problem. You get big enough, then nothing can really stop you. The AI is not quite aggressive enough, and there's a lot of there's a really a push towards the elimination victory, and it's a lot of um, let's see, I, I've caught whatever you have, Rob, and then my brain's freezing. Uh, <laughs> there's it's a lot of it's a long slog, some busy work. It's kind of unfocused. Uh, you kind of run out of things to do besides take your armies around and stomp things, which is, you know, the way 4Xs have been. They, they all were at the very beginning. Uh, I think some of the creativity that went into the opening design could have gone into making the end game a little more varied from play to play um, and maybe a few more different objectives. I think another important aspect is the uh, their little tech era systems um they are like when you're starting the game and getting into the middle of the game they're fairly constrained you can like see what you're trying to do in each one you can see like what you need in the next era and go for that but the later you get in the game the more you're like scrolling through all five eras to look for the one tech that you think that you need like it's like oh all of a sudden i need this which era is this in so there's it, it becomes sort of overwhelming in terms of number of tech options the uh the era system was a really good way to like make the fantasy world not feel imposing in the early game but i think that it's it, it backfires a little at the end yeah there's been a something about tech trees this year just has not worked <laughs> out quite so well i mean i, I like the year I, I like the endless legend one i say as, as, an, as an opening game thing it's really interesting to see how far you can take it but then it does become what, what am i missing what do i need and then you look at what beyond earth did with their tech web disaster of yeah, you think that's a disaster i think it's terrible oh wow okay uh I think well, let's, let's let's do this because <laughs> yeah I, let's I, get I, into I, this yeah because this is this is the elephant in the room i think we were all um we were all really excited when we heard that for, that beyond earth was even happening and uh then 
you know it was we we kind of were all a little bit let down but for all my issues with the game i didn't feel that the tech web itself was necessarily a problem but i'm curious to hear uh why do you hate that of all things troy well mostly it's the way it's laid out i mean the interface versus the the graphical interface is terrible it's a basic ui function um scrolling up and down and around seeing what is connected it's not clear why certain texts lead to certain other webs. I can't tell what's a wonder and what's not a wonder unless I download a mod to tell me which of these stupid little gray bubbles is a wonder I'm supposed to be building. Um, Tying it so tightly to the um, affinity system further undermines anything that could possibly be interesting about the affinity system because all the good texts are so balanced all the way through. You end up not... Having, as we talked about in the podcast, every you get it being a little bit of every affinity because the tech pushes you in that way uh, through the web instead of, you know, nice channels that direct you through an affinity. Uh, so, yeah, I think the tech is kind of the tech web's kind of misthought out. I think it's an interesting idea to have it spread out like that and even to have it tied somehow to the affinities. But the way they've done it by making all the important things kind of equally balanced around and the fact that I can't tell what a goddamn wonder is until I have a mod, there's something wrong with that. Clearly Firaxis doesn't care about wonders anymore. I mean, there is no real kind of no. focus on wonders at all and beyond it. And when you there actually isn't. construct a wonder, what do you get? Like some shitty schematic. Uh, there's no real fanfare. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's not a big deal. It's not something like you feel like you're working towards in the way that you do in yeah. Instiv. There may be there may be three or four wonders that are worthy of the name. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like, you know, maybe they should have just gone out, all out with that, but I am fine with it conceptually. Like, the way reason wonders are important in Civ is because those are things that we all know and care about if they want to focus on other things. I mean, I'm with you on... Um, the sort of initial graphical representation that the tech web provides, but I feel like, um, like the the affinities, you obviously you'll end up getting some of each, but uh, you can pretty easily channel your way through the way that you want to go if you're you know playing for for the whole affinity direct path. Uh, sort of, sort of. I don't know. Oh, you totally can. I, uh, in my first uh, full game, where I went, um, what are the the one the alien lover ones? Harmony, right? <laughs> That's the one, isn't it? Alien uh, lovers. Alien lovers, yeah. Um, I went Harmony, and I didn't have a point in a single other affinity. Not one. Yeah. I, I feel and like I, Harmony might be the most... I didn't most... find it difficult. Yeah, but, but Har- uh... Harmony is amenable to that because that has all the neat fungus won't kill you attributes, yeah. which the other I'll ones don't have. I, yeah, I'll admit that when I did Purity, I actually chose a couple of Harmony things. <laughs> so yeah, maybe you're right. But as Harmony, you can you can do it without uh, kind of getting into other uh, other trees. Or, uh, but it, I I think that it's not necessarily a huge problem dipping into these other affinities a little bit i mean why it's not really a problem is no, it no it's not, not a it, problem but it does take away from 
whatever the affinities are supposed to be it takes away from, I guess, the lore, if you want to say it. This, yeah. whole, this whole idea that these affinities are your country's personality and everyone's angry at you because, oh, you're an alien lover. Oh, you're not a pure earthling like me. And it does get it weird when they matter. talk to you, yeah. when, when they insult you for being like an alien lover, and then you actually look at their, the information and they have like half purity, half harmony. And I'm like, wait, you love aliens too, though. And also hate them. It's very confusing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a bit inconsistent. I'll agree there. But, I mean, Beyond Earth is... Castles of Mind. I mean, the thing is, it's a good game. And I think maybe my expectations were a little bit too high because the recent Civ expansions have been just so, so good. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and XCOM was so cool. And XCOM they, was they, did, good. they went such interesting directions with it uh, as they sort of expanded it. Yeah, the, the, XCOM, the second XCOM expansion was really good. So maybe I, we're, I was a little bit too hard on Beyond Earth. But I, once that podcast was done, done, I didn't go back. I went back to Civ Five. I, you know, yeah, I, I, I didn't I, do either. This <laughs> <laughs> is it's like this trying is to top it. each other. Who cares less? And Rowan's yeah, like, checkmate, bitches. <laughs> no, it's like here's the thing. Like when I play these Civ games for review or whatever for before the podcast, like I love them. Like I loved the the last Civ Five expansion, and every time I've tried to play it since, I like give up on the game within fifty turns. And Beyond Earth, the first few times I played it, I loved it, but then I didn't necessarily have time to play it when it got, you know, the full release. And when I have had time, I haven't gone back. So I don't know. Like, intellectually, I am very attracted to these. Like, Beyond Earth, like, allowing you to pivot the directions you were going, like, at both a micro and a macro level in it was, like, a really awesome addition to Civ Five for me. I was really into that. I thought it was probably close to as good as Civ Five once it had all its stuff done, but then I haven't gone back and played it. So, Is like, it a problem with familiarity? Are you just a bit done with Civ games, do you think? And especially when we've got so many great 4X games that have come out this year. Um it's like Civ isn't really at the top of the pile anymore. It's, I think it might be more that Paradox's style has gotten into me too much. Mm. Um, the the Troy's sort like, of good, good. Yes. <laughs> I'm taking notes. Uh, yeah, so uh, Troy, if you can uh, send me all of those Crusader Kings special editions, I'll uh, I'll send <laughs> you my my address. Um, but, but like, just the idea of you get put on a planet or whatever with seven other equally technically technologically viable groups and you're in a race to get to the end of the tech tree and do whatever you're trying to do or all destroy each other like that does not seem to be as cool to me anymore as playing a, as a nation or as a dynasty in Europa Universalis where you have you know all these different sort of miniature little goals that you're trying to achieve you'll never like take over the whole world well you might if you're especially if you're TJ but um your your goal <laughs> is more to you know take a province here take a province there and try to stay stable while you're doing it where the 4x games generally are you know take over everything and I, I find that a little less conceptually interesting these days just to go back to what rob was saying about how the sort of survival strategy has infected the um 4x genre in a in a good way i think it's like i like the games where you're going up against the world more um and i think beyond earth did that really well especially with those damn worms um 
like i could play a lot of those games as myself against the environment uh in a way that Civ five is kind of hard to do and uh not terribly satisfying even if you set it to raging barbarians um but yeah like i said like i i find myself getting lost in a crusader kings more often than a Civ these days and that's very strange given how much i played all four previous civs you heard him try CK2 in EU in space. <laughs> uh, make it happen. Right after, right after Rome too. Uh, I'm, I'm sure yeah, they'll get right, right on it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pass Combine the message it all on. Together. Rome, Rome two, two in space. In, in, <laughs> there we go, Romulans. Um, yeah, you know, I actually so once I'd finished uh, up up with the game, I, I ended up playing a little more of of Beyond Earth and. I still, I never had this feeling with a Civ before, and it kind of weirds me out that I got this feeling from this one particular game. It was like eating a bag of potato chips. Like, that that compulsion that I've always associated with Civ games was still there. That desire to keep playing the 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 whole one more turn thing. Oh, I gotta get the gotta get the next technology, and then I'm gonna upgrade these cities, and then I can roll out this new unit, and then I can build these expansions. Blah blah blah. All of that was still there, but it was the weirdest damn thing because never before have I been a little bit bored with it, even while I was doing it. Like the compul- like like I said, the compulsion was there, but it was like. Me and smoking shortly before I basically stopped smoking, right? Where it was like just a habit that I kept, that I, you know, I kept pulling cigarettes out, keep kept lighting them up, and I wasn't getting anything out of it. In fact, I was starting to feel shittier for for having done that. And this was this was a Civ game that kind of left me feeling the same way. Like I would come out of sessions with it, and I'd meant to play thirty minutes. I ended up playing you know ninety minutes or, or you know almost two hours. But I come away from it being like, what the hell did I just do? Why why did I even do that? And it's I, this has, this hasn't happened with with other Civ games with me. This time it did, and that that spooks me a little bit. I'm not sure if it's something about the game or whether I've just gotten a little burned out on this series that I've been playing for you know most of my life at this point. It's the Dragon Age Inquisition of Civ games, apparently. That's that's how I felt about it, and I haven't about Bioware games, you know, generally. Just crickets. Everyone's just staring blankly at you. Yeah. Like, what? Wait, you're Everyone's like, that's a role-playing game. How are you talking it? about, man? <laughs> sorry, for, sorry for bringing that up. There are some tactics in it if you want. Uh, it's relevant. But yeah, it, that was I like a 65-hour hangover. Isn't that one of these dating sims? <laughs> it's a walking simulator. Uh, okay, so you, you just want to do a little drive-by on Dragon Age Inquisition, is yeah, what but, I'm getting here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, right, that's fair. It was very cruel. It's the, the sort of compulsive thing where you wake up and there's a hangover at the end, and it's like, I did this because like I'm in love with this series, but I don't... What? I, where am I? What happened? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, kind of a... That, that was kind of a weird disappointment uh, this year, and... And I, I think it was. I don't think it helps that it was up against uh, so, so much exciting new stuff uh, that that we saw this year. Uh, so, so yeah, that was kind of the the year in four X games. Um, I want to have one of the other trends. Troy sort of pointed to it earlier, which is is just there's there's a lot of cool new sort of. Um, 
new approaches to sort of introducing people to aspects of strategy gaming and war gaming. But something that particularly leaped out at me with, with some of these games like Ultimate General and uh, Banner Saga is that I also feel like this was a good year for sort of the the, the, the lavish, glorious strategy game that just sort of sucks you in, uh, both as a uh you know audio visual experience in addition to to a pure game uh i i I can't remember a year where i found so many strategy games to be sort of uh enthralling from a thematic and like atmospheric standpoint yeah well endless legend is the king of that but uh we got um several uh, like beyond earth has maybe the best introduction that i've ever seen in a video game um there it's it did seem like yeah aesthetics are uh increasingly important or perhaps they're increasingly available to strategy game designers and uh that's hard not to get excited about as much as seeing little chits move across a, a, a bunch of hexes can be and it's um like with banner saga i felt that it was like going on a, a journey I mean, it would it was a literal journey, but uh, um, but like with the art style, the way it changed, and then th- these giant monuments almost like erupting out of the oh. ground, and these it was just the whole thing was like you were just singing, sitting, and letting it wash all over you. It was absolutely, absolutely stunning, and obviously uh, had a great soundtrack as well. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm kind of curious what is behind all of this because because in the past I definitely felt like. With the exception, maybe of the Civ series, uh, you you had to choose between, uh, you know, if you wanted a a pretty game or or a good strategy game, and the best the, the you know the best thing we get is like you know functional, uh, vaguely attractive graphics, a clean a clean interface, a clean look, uh, but but this year. Or Blizzard releasing something once a decade. Oh well, that's true. I, I always forget the. And there's the Homeworld as well, or just generally like Relic. Uh, yeah, well, make I, I, quite quite nice looking games i mean company of heroes was phenomenal i'm, I'm trying to the, accept the original yes from that category though right because okay. like they've always sort of that's that's a little different but i more mean like turn-based right uh, look i'm trying to make a point here and you guys are like, <laughs> like counter examples and just this is shitting all this over just it sucks you guys stop with the evidence uh, yeah I, well Rob, I think the the thing you're looking for is Unity. Um, I'm pretty sure Endless Legend was Unity, and I think just sort of general accessible, good looking 3D graphical tools have really made uh, this seem possible, like on a much wider scale. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, and then it sort of seems like there's just a lot of uh, talent that the industry hasn't quite been able to retain or place. I, I think you know if you look at uh, if you look at Stoic and and Banner Saga, uh, that that's a lot of that's a lot of industry veterans who sort of. To, to sort of make the kind of game they wanted, they 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 had to strike out on their own, and uh, and create uh, Banner Saga, and they brought all their sort of AAA know-how and their 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 sense of like you know uh, production and aesthetics. They brought all of that to bear on you know kind of a gnarly uh, party-based RPG adventure, uh, which. I, I will say, Fraser, I, I, I doubted you at first. At the start of the year, we argued about Banner Saga, whether or not it actually <laughs> worked. Yeah. Um, 
I must reluctantly concede that you may have been right. And uh, the, <laughs> oh wow, that, this is a good feeling. That the uh, the late game may, uh, as, in point of fact, um, fall the fuck apart. <laughs> if we're being yeah. honest, like I think as, I, mean, I, I love the game as I really the French do. say, but yeah. yeah. It gets a bit, and and I mean, the story still continues to be really interesting. It's still beautiful, and the actual battles are still fun. But yeah, it, it does it does really suffer it, 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 as it gets close to the end. You want to expand on that for our listeners? Yeah, well, there was the um, Christ. I'm trying to go all the way back to the beginning of the year. Um, so there was the the renown stuff, and the uh, the because the way that it creates this sort of tension in this kind of survival thing is that you you you've got like morale or manpower and uh supplies supplies that's it it's basically kind of making you feel like as you're going on this journey you're losing people in this massive massive caravan um but it gets to the point where it gets like really quite stingy and you've just got like you've got two armies as well that you're trying to juggle and deal with and and just the the renown and morale and supply system it just feels unnecessary and not particularly well thought out and this is i I, and really this is really kind of the end because in the beginning it's kind of interesting because it creates this tension um they're just numbers but because you can actually see that caravan moving across the landscape the, the, you kind of you have more feelings towards these numbers they become people there are people dying in your caravan and it's kind of your fault um and i i think that's great but then it just it just becomes numbers and you kind of just stop giving a shit and get a bit frustrated with it yeah, it's it. I don't know if it's partly that they ran out of resources. I, I definitely there are times that game definitely feels abridged uh, from mm. from what they set out to do. the the end the the entire third act feels like they're kind of realizing they just need to to wrap this thing up. I think uh, it's when they realized, oh shit, we're going to have to make this a series instead of one game. So let's wrap up this bit. And say this is the end because the actual end, and again, it ended well, even though it was kind of abrupt. Um, it it felt like there was more to come, and then of course the more to come is the sequel or whatever. Because I think it's going to be like a trilogy or something. Yeah, yeah, I think their plan is is for a trilogy. But yeah, you start out with these two different parties sort of journeying across the landscape as they both react to the sort of uh, apocalypse uh, befalling their world. And then in the third act, they kind of just forget about one of the parties entirely and sort of loses interest in the entire caravan concept. And it becomes kind of characters just sort of standing around talking um, and then fighting an increasing... Because you get stuck in a city for a, a really good long while. And what's kind of annoying about that is you're still losing, like, you're losing supplies while in the city. And you're like, you're in the bloody city. And you're stuck there and there's no momentum. And this comes quite close to the end of the game and it feels like you should be building up to a climax but you're actually stuck in this place doing a lot of busy work choose your own adventure stuff um, and not as much you know fun fighting or anything like that um, yeah yeah that was if, a rubbish bit. if you're going to go for a one resource type system like this then you kind of have to make it so that i can grind a little bit to get more of that resource but everything is kind of scripted as to when it's going to happen in this game so you end up with the problem of 
you know, I hit the end game and I, I, I basically realized I, I, I couldn't beat the last boss because I just hadn't leveled the right characters. Uh, some characters I'd leveled had died and taken their sweet, sweet leveling with them. Uh, and so there was simply, I simply did not have the power. Plus, your items can even level. Uh, so th- there were just, there were too many things that I hadn't done that I just sort of hit a dead roadblock uh, there at the end of the game. But beyond that, it was, I, I, setting that aside though, I think it was a remarkably um, resonant emotional journey and just, just a really well produced, uh, you know, narrative experience that, I, that I'm not used to getting from, from tactical games, certainly not lately. One of the one of the issues I think it also had was the the choose your own adventure stuff where like some of your characters will die and some of them won't like it's just so hard to tell which ones of those are going to be important what's going to totally screw you over or not and this is something that I've noticed with games that try to do sort of a narrative strategy um, King of Dragon Pass is probably the biggest example of this is just like you click on something it'll work great sometimes the next time it won't work and you'd have no idea why. Um, and that seems very much at odds with the really tense, uh, difficult sort of uh, managing resources both externally and within the um, within the tactical combat where like everything is super transparent for those. Like you know exactly how much you have and you don't have. And then one of your characters will randomly die because of a choice you made like 20 battles earlier. Uh, it's so it's it it makes things a little difficult in that way, and I I don't really know how games can get around that. Um, short of doing like a full Crusader Kings two, everyone has specific relationships with everyone. Uh, that said, some of those plot twists are pretty freaking awesome. There's some there's some mid game shenanigans that uh, that happen that <laughs> were pretty gut wrenching uh, as they happen, and the, the the way the story sort of yanked the rug out from under me uh, was was really cool. Um, but then at the other end of the spectrum, you know, you, so you get stoic there, uh, you know, from veterans of uh, Star Wars Galaxies, I think, were, was where a lot of the team came from. Uh, to... Weren't some of them like Bioware as well? Um, yes, yes, as a matter of fact, yes, uh, a lot of them were Bioware. Uh, so, yeah, th- there's some people who worked on both the Star Wars MMOs and uh, some people who worked on uh, the Old Republic. Um, and strangely, they get tired of making MMOs. Um, weird. <laughs> <laughs> and decided to make something else. Um, but another drive-by. <laughs> uh, we're, you know, it's the end of the year. To hell with it, right? Um, we're almost on vacation. But at the under, other end of the spectrum, uh, you've you've got someone like I don't remember the guy's name, but Darth Mod uh, ends up making one of the best war games of the year, uh, Ultimate General. And this is a guy who I, I think in previous years was, was sort of the mod, type of modding talent that I, I think might have gotten picked up uh, by a studio somewhere along the line. Now, it could be his his habit of publicly feuding with Creative Assembly uh, did not endear him <laughs> to them. But I think we ended up uh, winning out in that situation because the, the game he ended up making uh, you know, on his own devices was, was really, really incredible. And, uh, what game? Ultimate General. No, I mean, what games did he make, or what mods did he do before? Total War stuff. Big yes, there's stuff. always a dark mod for every Total War, basically. Um, so, like he, like he did one. I think he started. He started coming into prominence with like Medieval Two, and okay. 
he became sort of like he became sort of a rock star of the modding community with Empire because uh, he went in there and was like, "I'm going to fix Empire," uh, and he damn near did. Uh, where where he broke down was he started claiming that he fixed the AI in Empire, which Creative Assembly were like, "No, you couldn't have because that's a locked system." He was like, "I found a way." But he did not find a way. <laughs> I I played I played his his mod. Yeah, he, there, there were ways to manipulate uh, Creative Assembly's AI, but you could not like change its core. Uh... Yeah, which is a shame. <laughs> yeah, but that said, like it's that is another, uh, you know, it, it is a it is an introductory war game, but it is also one of the most uniquely gorgeous game strategy games uh, of the year, I would say. I mean, it's an introductory war game in that it's, you know, it's easy to learn, easy to figure out, but it has really neat, serious, strategic puzzles all the way through it. Um, it is difficult to win. Uh, I don't want to say easy to learn, hard to master, because that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard that we keep saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, the way that the stories branch, uh, now that it's out, we have all of these historical setups for every one of the days, lots of variations uh, in the battles, and it is probably my favorite wargaming experience in a long time. Um, and I really, really hope it's sold well and we get to see something else from him. Um, you can never really tell with these things. I mean, it's how much does a game like Ultimate General Gettysburg have to sell in order for uh, the studio, however many people it is, to actually do another one? Uh, I, I think when talking about the aesthetics, Rob, it's a, a important to mention that this is sort of a remake of Sid Meier's Gettysburg, which started as aesthetics. It was like Sid Meier was reading the American Heritage Civil War and saw those gorgeous, like slightly cartoonish maps and said, I want a video game of this. And Ultimate General Gettysburg kind of takes that idea and sort of, it it makes the map a lot, feel a lot more, um, I, I don't know if living is quite the right word I want, but it, it feels just more robust, like you're actually like being forced to deal with every single nook and cranny on it. And uh, it looks good while it's doing that. So you have this um, sort of tactile war game, I think, is, a, is probably a good term for it. And that's really neat. My critical appraisal, neat. <laughs> uh yeah, I, w- I would say it's. I think it's still a a a ways off from from Sid Meier's Gettysburg. It's I think it, 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 I think it is designed very differently. Uh, certainly in, in the way it, in the way it sort of plays out, uh, the way it models combat in this era. I, I think there's definitely a connection there uh, to Sid Meier's Gettysburg, but it, it's definitely going off in its own direction. Uh, but artistically, I do think it, it is sort of following. And, and evolving from that, I think actually it is probably getting back closer to sort of that um that sort of storybook uh, look that 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 you know that, that inspired uh, Meyer with, with, with Meyer's Gettysburg. That look, Ultimate General, if you if if when you're playing it, kind of looks like you know those big colorful maps that you find in like a battlefield gift shop or something, right? Like, you know, these vivid paintings that are like, you know, little numbers by them. Well, here's the, you know, it explains what each point of interest on the battlefield is. 
it's kind of like one of those big illustrations, one of those big like instructional illustrations to teach you something about the battle has sort of come to life night of night at the museum style <laughs> and, and started and started fighting the war uh independently it is kind of how is kind of how it feels we should call it night of the museum of the year <laughs> it, it is the best night at the museum of this year almost certainly so I only played it uh, like right after it hit, hit early access. Um, so it sounds like it has been fleshed out a lot, and I should go back to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it was it was pretty fleshed out. Like I don't think it's terribly different from what it was in early access. It's just it 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 hangs together a lot better, and they actually finished it. And there's some scenarios that were definitely missing uh, in earlier builds that that are now there. So it is yeah, it's well worth revisiting. Um, I, I think the absolute world of it. And I just wanted to make sure we're not forgetting anything because we, we've covered certainly, I think, most of my big highlights of the year. Uh, anyone else have something that they that they wanted to sort of celebrate for 2014 before we uh, before we call it a year? Uh, I would like to celebrate the uh, tink, tink, tink sound from Banished. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The, the the little the little dudes little dudes and ladies going and mining things had this wonderful little tink 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 sound that I could just listen to for hours. <laughs> uh, and, and the game was good too. But uh... has banished as they have they added to it because that was a game that I kind of liked and we had top of the podcast, but it also ended pretty quickly. There wasn't a yeah. lot. It was not a game with a lot of longevity. I think that the developer, because it's it's one fellow, that's all. Right. I think he added like modding tools, or he was opening up for modding, or something like that. But I haven't gone back to it since he made that announcement, so I, I don't really know uh, if it's because it it did kind of just yeah the, the 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 challenge was kind of like getting into that survival mode and and trying right. to to stay alive. It, it but after you kind of get to grips with that, it sort of loses its appeal and doesn't really go anywhere once your yeah. people start stop starving to death like there's not much more to go on you'd, you'd never think you'd want someone to starve to death but in Spanish it's like well i just want something to happen now uh you start to miss that that early kind of the early horror and intensity it's um it's kind of similar to the uh space base where uh there's there should be like a meta game level that there just isn't, um, and I think Banished is a lot more successful at dealing with it. But it's like once you once you have your little community sort of rolling, like there should be some sort of okay, the next thing I'm going to build is, and uh, Banished just doesn't have that, or perhaps didn't. I'm uh, checking out its Steam page now. The, the, the game should just have this big. As soon as you go through a year and no one dies, a big game over screen to just pop up. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations! You fed everyone. Now go play uh, something fun. Uh, it, it's 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 the sort of game where it feels like you know you should uh, you should be able to like see a map and say we successfully built our colony here. Now let's go to a harder place and build a colony there. Yeah, uh, like there'd be levels or or something like it, almost like Caesar and Pharaoh and all of those games, and uh, that would be quite interesting. It looks like they added modding support on November 4th. Right. So it took quite a while because I think the announcement was like in the summer. Yeah. But it is, again, it is just, it's one dude doing it all. So um, 
quite quite a lot of, a lot of work. So because you brought up uh, Space Base Nine, uh, or I'm sorry, DF Nine, DF Nine, Plan Nine from Outer Base, whatever. Um, <laughs> I wanted to talk about this a little bit because this was a game that I was planning on us like checking in on once it was finished. And I'm not sure it's finished. Like, have you played, like, <laughs> Rowan, what, what the hell happened here? And should we be concerned about uh, Double Fine's forays into strategy in the future? Well, I hear Massive Chalice is looking really good. So um, I've, I haven't checked out that early access yet. So I'm not sure we should be concerned about them overall. But, um, you know, I think it started as, like, one of the early, early access games. And they might have expected like more continual sales from it or something um but i i think it may just be that they didn't they wanted to do like a dwarf fortress but they didn't really understand like what made strategy games tick so they sort of did the uh sim city 2011 or 2012 or whatever of that where it like looked really cool it had all the things that it was supposed to have but it didn't necessarily tie those systems all together um like i I keep mentioning it on the show because i feel like it's an important game both in terms of early access and sort of the popularization of this style but it never actually came together like as a strategy game for me uh it just uh always seemed to be missing something once i made sure i could survive um I think, I mean, it it could be an issue with early access, where especially once Steam deprioritized early access games on their front page, it made it clear that you couldn't just survive on early access sales. Uh, you would have to like have a pretty strong game from the beginning in order to succeed as an early access game. And that might not be so great for strategy games that want to have this sort of continual development. Yeah, and certainly if you talk to someone like, you know, John Schaefer, he's gone on the record as thinking as saying he thinks that's a actually a terrible way to go about making a strategy game. He he, he he's pretty opposed to the 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 notion that uh that you can just sort of develop these things on the fly in, in dialogue with uh with the community. Um yeah, like um to take an example of a game that uh I would like to I maybe was probably the strategy game that i enjoyed the most this year when i was in it uh it's called rim world and it's not even on steam yet it's been greenlit um my cat is attacking my microphone is your cat uh, an asshole because i feel oh, yeah. like the, a lot of your tweets and everything <laughs> give sort of the impression that you live with an asshole cat he's the worst he's the cutest and the absolute worst he bites all the time like cute little nips or like is somewhere between cute little nips and hurty chomps oh god so it, it's enough Her-herty to be annoying hurty chomps that's the worst cat food ever so <laughs> <laughs> uh so uh this rimworld game it's uh you it's got it's you they're selling an alpha on the store uh, or not on a store on the on their web page and it's i think it's like one guy from a major studio i think he had worked with uh worked on bioshock games before and he decided no i want to go make a a dwarf fortress like and it's the most successful of any that i've played um it's kind of got this firefly vibe to it where you're dropped onto a uh you know one of those firefly colonies where there's no technology or anything and you're just trying to survive long enough to call for help um so 
it sort of has a natural end game in that respect and it's very difficult to like survive and expand um it's more much more sims like rpg like than a banished or a space space was where you just kept getting new people or breeding new people in the case of banished um but uh it's in very early access it's in the alphas but like there's an immediate sense that i get when i'm playing this where it's like i see that there is a very firm strategy game here like it's got that down in a way that uh space base doesn't and several other strategy games like they might have it like even more so than endless legend did when it 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 got completed um like i can see all these connections and so like i am 100 percent okay with that being like a model for how early access stuff should work but uh um like stuff like space base seems to make john schaefer look uh, a lot more correct and uh i think that might be a, a sort of a battle that we will see in in strategy games especially these smaller ones uh in the next year uh so i think that about covers a lot of the big themes uh, of 2014 we we haven't touched on rts's at all uh were there released <laughs> pardon so we both asked if there were any. Oh. Well, the, the, the last 3MA was on um, Ardenza Salt. Let's just say that's the best RTS. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you win. Relic wins again. Um, to be fair, it's also really, 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 really good. So, um, you know, it seems half-arsed just saying it now. Just like, oh yeah, that happened. <laughs> that was cool. We just did a bloody podcast about it. No, we, we literally talked about it yesterday. Um, so yes, it's, it's fair that it didn't come up. Um, all right. So that about, that about wraps up 2014. Uh, I, I think turned out to be another pretty fantastic year for strategy games. Um, I feel like I may have actually said every year we've done the show though, that every year has turned out to be a great year for strategy game, maybe the best one, uh, since we started doing the show. And yet here I am again saying that maybe 2014 is the best year of strategy since, uh, since three moves ahead has been around. I don't know. What do you guys think of that statement? It's uh, been a, it's been a pretty, um, pretty brilliant year for strategy. I, I always hesitant to say it's been the best year for strategy or, or anything like that. But just with the uh the massive amounts of, of, of like not just 4X games that I said earlier, but just strategy games in general. There were just a vast number of them and expansions as well. Um which we haven't spoken a huge amount about, but there have been a lot of great expansions this year too. Um so it's definitely going to be up there, even if, I, if I'm going to be cowardly and not quite say that it's been the best every year. I, I think that digital distribution, you know, has been increasingly prominent as long as you've been doing this podcast, which is, you know, digitally distributed. Uh, so, like, that, that all sort of makes sense in that this is a way that um, sort of medium-sized and smaller-scale games that don't all have to be StarCraft II can be published. So we're getting a lot of, you know, smaller stuff medium-sized stuff and huge stuff that said 2012 had XCOM and crusader kings 2 and it's gonna take you know a miracle to beat that i think you overrate crusader kings 2 a little bit i'm just saying i'm just saying <laughs> what you're a little carried away what i just <laughs> to be honest i think crusader kings 2 is bloody brilliant what's your beef rob <laughs> I, I i think he's just saying that to get a rise out of me and troy and I guess you too, Fraser. Just saying it's no EU4. That's all I'm saying. It's uh, better. See, it's better. 
I'm not gonna get dragged into this. <laughs> well, I saw you. I saw you trying to be like it's been a good year for expansions. Don't think I know you weren't trying to backdoor Rome into this discussion, Fraser. Okay, oh, we God. both know what that was about. I, I I thought he was just really into the the new way of life expansion for Crusader <laughs> Kings two. Seven ninety nine on Steam. Get it now. I would never want to offend you and say anything too nice about. Uh, about <laughs> well, I think I, I think we're gonna have to revisit it next year. I think you, me, and Rowan are gonna have to rally up again and discuss that game because one seven. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot still be getting abuse about this a year on. <laughs> but but also the game has changed a lot, and I'm actually kind of curious what some of the expansion campaigns ha- have done for the game. So I think my my Total War Ennui is almost gone, and uh, perhaps in the new year I'll be ready to love again. Um, oh, and there, there's has that Attila version the coming Sparta out. Expansion? Oh, the, the uh, Attila expansion. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but then there's also a Peloponnesian War expansion that just came out today. Oh, well, then we should totally play that. Well, we'll get around to it. We should uh, totally think, of, oh, hey, Crusader Kings 2 <laughs> has a new else. expansion. All right. We're falling to fighting among ourselves. We should have started uh, We're we in danger of turning into the strategy Paris Commune, so we should probably just tie it <laughs> off here. Um, wish everyone a merriest, holiest season's greetings. And uh, we look forward to 2015, which I think might be. The best year in strategy uh, since we started doing this show. Say goodnight, everybody. Good night. Merry Christmas, everyone.